welcome into the Orlando Drummer Podcast. This is episode 29. Hope you guys have been well and staying busy around here. So we've taken a few weeks off recently, but good to be back, man. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Um, got a got a haircut recently. Hell yeah. This guy was getting fed up. <laughs> how, often, how often do you get your haircut? Uh, well, I think the longest I had gone was four months. Jesus, that's but, such I mean, a long I've, time. I've gone, I've gone longer, <laughs> um, but I think maybe the shortest window was probably two weeks. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, this is this could really break the bank if I do this every two weeks. Have you ever thought about getting rich enough that you could get a haircut like constantly? Not, not, not constantly, but like once a week. Like, yeah. yeah, like It'd every three days or something. Yeah. You just look identical all yeah. the time. You walk in and then they go, oh, he's here. And yeah. then they cut your hair. Yep. Right? And Same haircut, just yeah. dialed. That would be really cool. It'd be great. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, whew, all the money. <laughs> a lot of money for sure. I did have a friend tell me, like, oh, you should get one every week. And I was like, woo. Yeah, that adds up a lot, dude. I can't do once a week. Yeah, it's too much money. There's a reason you're eating top ramen, bro. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> you're getting your haircut every week. Probably not worth it. I I really try and sync up my haircuts with important video shoots. That's like the number one reason that'll make yeah. me get a haircut or not yeah. is like if I'm filming something, you know. For me, it's like I don't know events, I guess. Yeah, or, just or like certain going events. Out yeah, to seeing friends, something like that, where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to look like a a ragamuffin, as my mother would say. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, we got for uh, loop of the week this oh, week, man. This week we have uh, quite a snazzy, jazzy okay. loop. For us today, I don't think I've ever featured this loop pack before, but it is the Jazz Quartet Loop. Jazz Quartet. Uh, a loop pack, rather. Yeah. And it's loop four, which is 145 BPM. Yeah, I know that track. I know that one's really <laughs> fast. Yeah, I had a had a rough time playing that. That came out in maybe 2019, the Jazz Quartet Loop Pack. Really like authentic sounding jazz, I guess would be the best way to describe it. And I remember Joe actually brought in a trumpet player and a saxophone player and then at the time his roommate played trombone so there's a lot of like weird horns that are actually on there um really really strange pack but i had a rough time playing to that one because i i am not like a purist with jazz at all i can mm-hmm. chameleon along with some things just fine but my experience for playing jazz was all high school jazz band where I didn't read music or anything. I just made stuff up most of the time. Mm. But uh, yeah, I remember posting a handful of tracks from the jazz quartet loop pack like on Instagram. And there were definitely people that were like, you shouldn't put the bass drum there because it's really like, all right, I get it. It's not my thing. So I <laughs> we didn't revisit that again because um, I wasn't confident enough to play more of them. But anyway, it's a fun pack. This this track you're about to hear is very, very quick, like uncomfortably fast, up-tempo swing for me. But anyway, check it out. Jazz quartet loop pack. Uh, loop four. It's fun, man. Too fast. Too fast for my blood, man. Keep, can't keep up with that stuff. <laughs> that and like, um, 
what else? Like shout music, right? Like like gospel shout music is sort of a category of that. Country also has it too, like train beats. Those sort of tempos. And then punk, obviously. Punk is the other one that has that that sort of tempos. I don't know, man. I feel like your ears have to get acclimated to that 140, 160, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Man, it's just... It takes a lot of work for me. Like, that never came naturally to me. So, I don't know if we have any super fast players in the, uh, like, high tempo players yeah. in the description. Definitely give us some pointers, man. I know I could use them. Yeah. I, my, my favorite was always, like, jungle uh, trap beats. Okay. Where, like, uh, like J.D. Beck kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Busy. Uh, yeah. Busy, busy. He's got such a... Such a strange style. You know who I think is closest to his style? Is actually Sput. I think Sput is like... He's huh. very similar in style to J.D. Beck. Not in like the same way every time. But if you pay attention to like how they sprinkle in ghosts in certain ways, like the way they orchestrate around the kit. Sput's like not as busy and wild all mm. the time. But I feel like... Like Sput is probably an influence on JD Beck, more than likely. Yeah, I would say so. Right? Yeah. So, so I don't know. I wish I'd have to hear them both again to like to articulate it better. But yeah. although Sput has more to play with, on, on he a, does play on a, a bigger kit. Basis, and yeah. JD Beck is two instruments. Yeah. At most. Yeah. You know, duct tape on a crash cymbal. Some people get away with that, man. Yeah. And, and just rip. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, I forgot one other thing actually. Um, Sorry, I'm a little sweaty today. I'm actually been practicing a lot. Um, I officially booked a a drum festival. I'm not going to say the name yet because you know things can things can go wrong. But it you know flights are booked, so we're looking good um, for a festival coming up. Oh. Um, but I've got to fill an hour set, like an hour long set. Oh man! Problem is I don't have a band, so coming up with that many songs is actually really tricky. So you know, song suggestions would would be cool, except. I don't think I can do anything copyrighted, so like I can't, mm. don't just name like a pop song or some famous song, I probably can't do that. But if there's any tracks from like smaller independent type artists, Nick DePiro being a good example, I'm definitely using several tracks from him. Him and I have written songs before, but um, I'm using some tracks from him. Any artists similar to that, I'd be really interested in some recommendations uh, to find some unlicensed tracks to use for this drum festival. Uh, or any loops. If there's any particular loops in the library that you would want to hear in like a performance setting. Uh, Joe and I have done this before. We actually like... We, we alter the structure of the loops to make them more like a song. So we write a bridge to it and give it like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus sort of sort of deal. Um, so we could do that with one of the loops as well. Uh, I know Maple Sugar is one I'll be, I'll be playing there for sure. Um, but anyway, really exciting. More news coming for sure. Definitely in the next uh, couple weeks I'll have some, uh, some dates and locations and stuff for you. But it, it's actually my first drum festival. I've done... Clinics, master classes, yeah. played you know hundreds of shows, like like all of these different things. But I'm like, man, I've never, I've never even been to a drum festival before. Mm. Have you ever heard of one around here? Like just a drum festival? It's a very rare, rare. I think right? it's just it's easier, obviously, to get like a music festival. I can't think of any that were around here. Yeah, I mean, right. I don't know. Weird. That's anyway, a hard one. I'm excited. Really excited. Yeah, and if you got some independent artists who have unlicensed music that I could potentially use for that, I'm uh, building up some of the songs now. So that'll be really cool. More info on that soon. Mm, a little teaser. Yeah. All right. Well, we're done talking about that. Now we'll talk about something else. Uh, 
It seems like you know exactly how podcasts work, man. You really do. You get it. You get it, bro. I, uh, you know, it's funny is I, I really don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. I do listen to one in particular. I won't name it, but it's just unscripted and like dudes hanging out. Okay. And it's, I think that's one of the more entertaining ways to listen to a podcast is no plan. Yeah, they definitely can flow that way, but. On my other po- on, on All In with Adam, which mm-hmm. by the way, if you guys wonder what, what set he's sitting at, that's for All In with Adam. It's my other podcast, not not drums at all. It is, dude. You learn the hard way. It's really hard to sit down with no structure, no topic, and like improvise for an hour. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely tried that a handful of times and was not happy with how it turned I out. Think, it's hard. Man. I think the only way that you can that it's easy quote-unquote easy or it seems easy if it's just comedy focused because if, yes. if, if it's any serious topic then you lose people if there's for no sure structure. you need to have some kind of outline yeah. theo vaughn is probably my favorite for the 100 percent improvised like 90 minute podcast mm. no plan just like sits down and his first thought of the day like you get to hear on the pot like that and it's somehow entertaining for 90 minutes like but man what a special skill it's really hard to do that this is a lot easier because we've got not only segments but like you know it's all within the domain of drums or musicianship Mm -hmm. or anything in that category so it's like you have a direction for everything but yeah, yeah, it gets a lot trickier when you open up the rest of the world. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll move on to a segmented portion of this podcast known oh, as Accent or Ghost. Yeah. Which is an oldie but a goodie. This is a piece where we get Adam's view on many aspects of the drumming industry, and at the end, we'll get an approval in the form of an accent or a disapproval in the form of a ghost. Okay. Would you be willing to accent or ghost bamboo drums? Bamboo. So, a uh, shell pack made out of bamboo, or bamboo used as a material to make drums out of. See, I'm, I'm not even sure if anyone has... Well, did they make any instruments? What happens if we Google bamboo instruments? Like like uh, woodwind? Is that... they make any, like, flutes? I mean, assuming that it's made out of wood, or it's an instrument that is made out of wood, if you substituted bamboo for it, you can make it. Um, there are drums that are made out of okay z- xylophones, marimbas. I'm just reading a Google list here. Um, some kind of chimes, and then it says guitars, ukuleles, violins. But that's further down the list. Weird. So why would they not make shells out of it? Let's. Uh, what's the characteristics of bamboo? Well, D drum made a bamboo snare drum. Did they really? Um, I wonder if DW, who specializes in exotic woods, uh, hmm. made a bamboo drum. Probably. Probably other custom companies, smaller companies that were just like, we've got small, thin slats and make sort of like a stave drum kind of thing. Yeah, a lot, yeah. A bunch of glue and epoxy. Well, the same thing. So I'm reading that bamboo is super durable, which I guess I knew that. Yeah. Um, but it says it's pretty pretty dense. So you might run into the problem where with drums, it's just not enough tone and too much aggression and bite. And I learned some mm. of this from talking with Sal, who makes my signature drum, oh. which is made out of Jara. Jara is a super, super dense hardwood from Australia. It's a lot more dense than... Um, 
any other wood you might think of. So like oak and birch and some of those really snappy, like dried out um, hardwoods that we use for shells. It's it's way harder than that. And what happens, he's told me this before, when you make a tom out of a wood that's that dense, it's just like all attack with no tone underneath it. So my guess is that a bamboo drum would actually sound like that, that it would be way too snappy and not have a lot of like musical sing to it. That would be my guess. So I think I'll have to, I'll have to not go to war with reality on this one. I'm gonna ghost it. I say there's a reason nobody has made bamboo uh. drum shells before, probably because it doesn't sound very good. But if you were going on tour and you couldn't afford cases, you might want some really tough, <laughs> tough drum shells. Well, I mean, at that rate, you're looking at steel or aluminum. Yeah, yeah that's probably smarter. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like if there's a material and you can make a drum out of it, and we've talked about several different drums, like 3D printed drums and cardboard drums and stuff okay. like that, you know, it's possible that you could make it for sure. Will it sound as good as most products out there? Maybe. You yeah. just kind of have to make it to find out. You would have to make it. Yeah. I did read three more interesting little fun facts that Google spit out here. Yeah. One says bamboo shrinks. Um, a lot more than most other comparable woods. Um, so like it shrinks and, and what's the word? Like it could swell. So depending on the humidity, it, like it could like, like contract. Yeah, yeah which would make it really unreliable oh, for tuning. Oh, um, yeah, swelling terrible. and shrinkage can happen with bamboo. And it is super susceptible to, um, to fungus. So it can grow mold. Ugh. Interesting. Oh, moldy. Moldy drums. Yeah, moldy kit. That's gross. Uh, mold, <laughs> All right. Molding. So we're ghosting it. We're ghosting right, it. No yeah. bamboo kits. That's probably a, not. That's a very... <laughs> that's a strong ghost. Obj Come on. That's a strong... Objective ghost. <laughs> we used science today. Yeah, exactly. Um, damn. That's... Uh, I, I can't argue with that. That makes so much sense. We're going to accent our ghost side snares. Side snares. I mean, I've played them before or put them on the kit. But I never leave them on there. You always end up putting a drink on it and a phone, mm. you know, and your wallet. And, and laptop. You know, and, yeah, notes, laptop. Exactly. It's just like everything. It just collects collects all your stuff is what ends up happening. Yeah. Um, you know where I really think you, you, could, you could use that is in, it sounds weird, but specifically like a pop band. Because mm. pop snare drums can there's like 10 different sounds right like you you could have a pop song where you need like a really bitey cracky high attack high tuned snare drum and then you could also have one if it's at all in like an 80s style where you need that fat gushy warm like mahogany deep rich snare drum and you know realistically you're not going to switch snare drums in the middle of a set for almost any gig you ever have it's just yeah. not, not going to happen so that's really where i think you would have like the the big fat snare drum like that big gushy one you'd have that over to the left for a certain song uh within the set and then probably a more like normal tune snare um in the center so i mean i, I would give it the accent um like functionally, I think it's cool to have two snare snare sounds, but man, in my whole career, I have never really found a reason where I like had to have that. It just never happens, you know. It's it's like a cool thought because I have a, multiple cool snare drums, and it would be sick to have them together. But it just never it never pans <laughs> out. I can't I can't like amend my playing to even think about it. It just ends up sitting there, and then when I do remember, like oh I got that snare, oh it's got my phone on it, and then you'll end up smashing your phone. So. Oof. 
Never made it happen. Yeah, I'm gonna have to ghost it for me. Oh, personally, man. personally. No, it, even if you played like a reggae set and you needed that just like high. Oh, like a piccolo. Yeah, that's yeah. the other way to do it. Yeah, not necessarily two snares that are the same size. Like a popcorn snare would be kind of the same thing. Popcorn right? snare. That's the that's the way. I've is there like any ten by fives? <laughs> is there any genre of music that depends on the popcorn snare? Is that a thing? Oh wow, this is actually hilarious. Pause on the snares really quick. I just got an email <laughs> to <laughs> to from DW to, no from, your from Manscaped for this for this podcast for Orlando Drum Podcast. That is <laughs> which they sponsor hilarious. like so many pod. They're massive, massive in the podcast mm. world. Can we sidebar real quick? Do you would do you use a Philips Norelco one blade? No, no, I use straight razor. Straight razor. Well, you're a maniac. But <laughs> if you ever decide to become sane, you should get a Philips and Relco one blade. Because you like that? They're fucking amazing. The the one blade. Now this is. Let's be honest. This is like 98 percent men listening to this. So we yeah. can de- we can definitely uh, yeah. talk about shaving for a second. Women can shave. A woman can shave. Well. It, they do. Yeah, shave. Yeah, they might have a shaver face too. You might, you they might. do probably more frequently than men. So, so my barber actually told me told me this that the single blades are way better for your skin because oh, course, the five, yeah. six, seven, four thousand blades that they started doing, mm-hmm. um, basically it'll shave off the hair, but then it will continue to scrape the skin after it, mm-hmm. and it'll actually cut off the tip of like the pore. Does it make sense? Yeah. Right. Um, it so just, it's just abrasive to the skin when you have. Uh, blades lined up in a in a row. Sure. Anyway, really funny. That's a hard pass for me. I promise I will not try to sell you shaving products on this podcast. This is funny. Anyway, so there's a... <laughs> not, there, it's just immediately... You don't even need to send a reply to the email. No. Just, oh, we saw it in the last podcast. Well, to be totally shit. honest, like uh, if we're talking like sponsors... Right, like just the concept of that, like you would align yourself with a brand to help them sell things, and mm-hmm. then they help you in some other way, right? Like we've already got those in the way of you know Minel and Earthworks and Evans and Minel Sticks and uh, yeah. ClearTune, and like we're we're aligned with many companies who we have no problem telling you guys about. Yeah. But I don't ever want it to work this way, where yeah. it's just like here's how many downloads we get, here's how much money we get. No. Not into it for a drum podcast. I mean, but. key differences between endorsements and sponsorships, right? It's just you've, I think, it, and what, you said a long time ago an endorsement was like a much stronger, longer relationship than a sponsorship. Cause Definitely. Sponsor, sponsorships, you can just kick to the curb and be like, fuck off, I, I got a better one. For sure, for yeah. sure. The word endorsement typically does imply that you've got some kind of relationship with them that's a lot deeper than just, because I have no doubt if I were to follow up with this email, I, I'm not going to like speak to anybody. They just want some podcast download statistics. They would probably send me like some Manscaped little package or whatever. And yeah. then you get a promo code to tell people and links to put in a description. And that's it. That's all you ever do. As opposed to ClearTune where we've been inside their you know yeah. their actual offices in their factory and see how they make things yeah. you know it's a lot different but anyway well that was a fun detour to take oh, momentarily <laughs> we got anything else for accent or ghost uh, i do i have one more on okay. the same vein as side snares what do you think about left side floor toms or right side floor toms if you're uh yeah. Left-handed drummer. You know who comes to mind is Alex Rudinger. Some of those like like Rudy, Rudy, like the sim- w- the symmetry yeah. players. That comes to mind. Uh, Anoop Sastry. He does it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it. I think it's cool. As I soon think- as I figured that out, I was like, ooh, you just. It is kind of cool. Mm. Yeah, I think the idea of building like um, 
I was almost gonna do it. There's no reason to do it. But like, if you were building like uh, like like Tom sounds, doom 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 doom, doing that like opened up wide is a weird mm-hmm. vibe. I don't know yeah. why. Because for me, I'm always used. To, you have to go all the way to the right to get to both of my floor toms. Mm. Um, that sounds fun, but I don't know. I, I I feel like you could come up with some stuff. But you'd really have to commit. I think you'd have to commit to get used to having a floor tom there. And that, for me, that feels like it would take six months or a year Maybe. before you remember that it was even there. Like, that's how long I haven't changed my setup. So yeah. it's, it's intimidating to add that. I think it would depend, too, on, like, what you're playing, what you're writing. And it's like, is it easier for me to take my left hand and go down to a floor tom for this fill than yeah. it is for me to take my left hand for this fill because of the orchestration and go all the way over there. Yeah. Like it's much quicker to do that and it sounds cooler when it's quicker. You know, another one that comes to mind, Travis Orban. Travis yeah. Orban. Yeah. Oh man, you wanna talk about an OG YouTube OG drummer? OG YouTube drummer. Travis Orban was one of the first drummers I ever watched on YouTube. Yeah. Like one of the first, maybe like two or three. I'm sorry to have fucked you up like that. That's a. <laughs> oh <laughs> that, man. He's a serious drummer to watch on YouTube. Oh my God. <laughs> and like through all the years of watching him play, it's just like, the dude, I think, honestly, he influenced a lot of people who play in that's, a symmetrical, symmetrical fashion. Set. Yeah. Oh, know? absolutely he did, yeah. He's so good, too, man. Oh, so, my God. So good. And, a, like, a, what's the word? I don't know, like a drummer's drummer, right? Like, per, like particularly nerdy, man. He's got yeah. eight-minute videos of him just sight-reading these oh insanely my God. complicated parts. His, all, like, yeah. uh, in high-level metal, ultra-fast, crazy independence, just a... Insane player, man. Insane player. You want him to play something, send him something, and he'll play to it. Yeah. It's just like... Yeah. Oh, my God. He'll kill it. He's outrageous. Anyway, accent or ghost left side floor toms? Um, (laughs) I'll give it the accent because of of all the many weird gear suggestions that we or gear ideas that we might cover in this segment. That one actually sounds kind of cool. Like, I bet I would like that if I actually committed to it. More than a side snare for some reason. So, I'll give it the accent. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you, you see it pulled off, like Rudy and Anoop and Orbin. Like, we came up with three sick drummers yeah. who do it immediately. Yeah. So clearly, it works for some people. Yeah, I'll give it a, give it the accent. All right, cool. Well, that'll do it for Accent or Ghost. We'll move us on into Swap Study Shed. Oh, yeah. Now, if you know what Swap Study Shed is, good for you. But if you don't know what it is, uh, for this piece, I'll give Adam three drummers. He has to choose which one he would swap gigs with which one he would take a lesson from, or which one he would hang out and shed with. First trio up today, we have Mark Giuliana, or Giuliana, I don't know, Adam Marcello. Ooh, that's a good one. And Craigie Craig Reynolds. Craig Reynolds. Craigie. Oh, man. Okay, so let's see. Oh, this is a really tricky one. So for those that, that let's just go through these three drummers. Mark Giuliana, um, I believe his gig right now is just the Mark Giuliana quartet or band. Like, it's his own little project yeah, that he has, right? Yeah, I am the master of my own, you know. Yeah, creations. yeah. Well, I mean, he's that he's that good, you know. But unbelievably, like, high-level jazz with a weird sprinkle of, like, fusion drum and bass in there. Mm-hmm. But super, super unique player with a really specific kind of gig. Uh, Adam Marcello is Katy Perry's drummer. So... That's the arena world is where you're at there, but he's also her musical director, so that's a very it's Ooh, not a big it's a big job. Responsibility. Yeah, that's the thing. It's almost like, do you really wanna 
you want to sit in for a day like <laughs> doing that yeah. um and then Craig Reynolds is just you know a drunk moron basically <laughs> nice shout <laughs> out kidding. Craig what's up Craig I love you buddy um Craig is a, a muscular metal drummer let's describe yeah. him that way yeah um British gentleman <laughs> Um, no, I love Craig. He's an awesome guy. Craig is so cool. Awesome guy. But also, you know, he's in Straight from the Path, which is, that's a whole vibe in of itself. You ever been to, been to any of those shows? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a, uh, like, high aggression, high intensity kind of performance. So let's see. Um, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to hang out with Craig, because I know him. He's my buddy. Good dude. Okay, so Craig would be, in that case, the uh, shed, right? We'll hang out with, with Craig. And then I think I want to study with Mark. His playing is definitely the highest level of these three guys. That's no offense to, you know, Adam Marcello or Craig Reynolds. Mark Julian is just kind of ridiculous. So a lesson with him would be interesting. I don't know what I don't know what he would I don't know what he studies, right? Like what kind of books is Mark Juliana cracking open? I don't know. You know? He seems like one of those drummers where like there there's no warning to what he could possibly tell you because he's not known to be a teacher. He's not yeah. an instructor. Has he ever released but, any educational stuff? I don't think so. Possibly, but maybe more on the lines of just like, here's a trick you can do. Not, yeah. not like a concept that'll blow your mind kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I remember I actually got to ask him a couple questions for the, what was it, uh, VF Jams in like 2018 or something. There was a whole bunch of Aaron Spears was there and Benny was there and it was Kaz and uh, Mark Giuliano was there. And I asked him something along the lines of like, what do you get jealous of? Like when you see somebody who has some ability that you don't have, like for, like, for example, like um, speed metal drummers who have this like unbelievable amount of speed, like any part of you that gets jealous of that or like what do you see out there that you wish you could do better? And his answer was feel. It was like the, he cited like, several old school jazz drummers that have a feel where he's like, I get jealous of like their touch that I can't mimic how they actually sound, which I thought was a really cool kind of a creative answer. Um, that's a good thing to be jealous of the thing that you definitely can't have, which wow. is somebody's feel and touch, right? That's like, funny. Oh yeah, you know, you never get that, you know? So that, I thought that was a cool answer. So it would be great to take a lesson from him. Um, and then the gig, I think I'll go in, I'll take the, the Adam Marcello gig. Damn. Though that's intimidating. You got to deal with everybody in the band there though. I mean, yeah, you now become, I mean, I mean, I'm sure he works directly with Katy Perry all the time. Of You'd course. have to if you're you're the MD, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big responsibility. I'm sure he's paid very well for that, but that's a hell of a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, we could spit some numbers. They're probably all accurate. Yeah, um, probably. But damn. Okay, cool. That's, I, that's more along the lines of what I would do, too. So hell that's yeah. awesome. All right, I got another trio up for you here. Okay. Vinny Caliuta. Mmm. Mr. Dave Weckl. Good Lord. Or Questlove. So, Vinny, Dave W., and old Quest. So, Quest is a weird one because he, you know, his his gig is like with the roots, yeah, but but more so it's the Tonight Show, right? Yeah. That's what you would be doing day in the life of Questlove is, is the Tonight Show. Yeah. And you have to wonder exactly how that kind of gig goes i'm sure there, there would be some surprises in there um and you know we were just talking we were talking about this briefly before but like you know those late night shows are are they are scripted start to finish everything even the little like you know kitschy little improv sessions are not really improvised at all 
Mm. It's it's very very structured, and so you wonder if there's some like monotony in that job where it's a little more like like the idea that you would have creative freedom going to work is like kind of laughable in that environment. Like I don't think that's actually how that gig works at all. I think it's way more. It's as close to like working for a corporation as you could probably get within the music industry, yeah, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. you are working for a massive conglomerate, you know. So I, I don't know. I think there might be parts of that job that are not as cool or as fun as you think, but still a legendary position to hold for any amount of time. Like I would still want to do a day in the life and really understand uh, how how that gig works, you know? Yeah, I mean, like what Max Weinberg did the Conan. Uh, show with him for for years and years, and they featured him too. They gave him a tremendous amount of oh my drummer God. attention, right? Well, there were like points where it was just like Max is out, and we're all sad. Yeah. He's with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> like, that's a dope gig. So yeah. when you're not doing the Tonight Show and you can just leave to go on tour, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know if Questlove does that necessarily. Um, but yeah, so when you got to think too, like, are, are you live in New York? You go to Thirty Rock every day. Yeah, um, I could not live in New York. You, you get yeah, a lot of people, man. Um, and then uh, you got like regular schedule for the most part, and yeah. then the money has to be probably pretty good. I'm sure it's killer. Yeah. So I don't know. I think yeah. I would have to swap gigs with Questlove just to just to see what that experience is like. That would be very interesting, even if you didn't want to do that forever. Uh, and then you got Dave Weckl and Vinny. Um, I'm going to hang out with Vinny. That's going to be Shed. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to hang out with Vinny. He, I met him briefly in passing at the Roland event when they released the TD-17. This was like 2019, I think. Who else was there? Luke Holland was there. Casey Cooper was there. A um, handful of people. It was, it was a really, really cool event that Roland put on. And Vinny was like the weird... Um, like surprise guest where like nobody knew he was going to be there. He just like mm. showed up and jammed for like an hour on an e-kit. It was really cool. There was only like a hundred people there. It was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, and I got to like meet him briefly, but he seems like a, like a cool old weird guy yeah. that happens to be like freakishly talented, like yeah. one of the best drummers in the world. Um, I would just want to hang out with him. And then I would definitely study with Dave Weckl. That guy would mess you up, man. He's, He's um, just unbelievably like like what's the word? I mean, skilled obviously, but like he's clearly a studier, not just like natural freakish ability. Yeah. A little bit more of like, oh, you earned this because you're super passionate about the study of rhythm. He strikes me that way. Solid is a very good word. I think, yeah, you know, just very down the nose, straight shooter. Yeah, knows what he's doing. Yeah, no messing about. Absolutely cool. That's a good one, man. Cool, all right, well, that'll do it for Swap Study Shit. So it'll move us on into Q&A. Q&A. Yep. I got a question here from Andrew Warren Trums. Okay, Andrew Warren. He's been a member of the site for a while, actually. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, and then you have a question here. What made you finally leave a 9-to-5 job and pursue music full-time? Hmm. So my last real job was Sam Ash. I've talked about that a few times on this podcast, working at, at old Sam Ash. I really live, like, just a, <laughs> like a mile from that same store. Um... And, you know, that was my last real job. And I, man, it, I don't know if things are different there now, but I feel like it's been 10 years at least. So I can definitely tell this story now. But the way they had it set up there was, you know, and I think Guitar Center is honestly the same way. A lot of music stores have this model, and I don't like this model, um, where you, you make minimum wage. By that, I mean like seven or eight dollars an hour is very, very low. Your paychecks are like a couple hundred bucks a week. It's, it's nothing. But you are like a commissioned salesperson. 
So you, the more gear you sell, you end up getting like bonuses on your paychecks. And a lot of people actually made great money doing that, depending on what shifts you work. And if somebody came in and bought the $10,000 drum set or the $10,000 guitar, you know, some weeks that didn't happen. But the way, um, you know, I actually started teaching there. And so I taught in these back little lesson rooms of this music store. Um, and I remember I had racked up like 10 or 15 students uh, in the first month um, because I had I had a little bit of like um, YouTube traffic at the time, not much at all, like a few thousand subscribers. But um, through that, and then I was also teaching privately, I ended up bringing in like a, a good amount of students, like a dozen students into this store. And then what I had found out was the way that they rang up your lessons was as though you had sold someone a lesson, not directly, but it was like you sold them a piece of gear, right? So in order to, you ever heard the phrase break your base? You have to sell enough gear in order to get paid. You don't just get paid. You don't just get paid off of every single piece of gear that you sell. You have to sell, let's say, ten thousand dollars worth of gear per week. That's your base. And once you break that threshold, then you start making money what you sell beyond that. Mm. And so what I had found out was, and nobody told me this, that giving a lesson was no different than selling someone a product. And because I did not give enough lessons to break my base, I got paid nothing. For, for having like 15 students, yeah, nothing. I, because I didn't actually, you know, I didn't sell enough gear on the floor combined with the lessons that I gave to break my base. Jeez. And so, yeah, after one, I was there for several months, but um, the first month that I gave 15 lessons per week for four weeks in a row and did not get paid, I said, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And I said, I will take the risk and go teach on my own full time. Um, so I shamelessly, you know, told like all of these students, like, hey, I'm not teaching here anymore. Like, I don't like how this works at all. Like, I, I have not been paid for any of these lessons. Um, and so a handful of them actually came with me. And then I went full force um, teaching full time. So that kind of experience was the one that made, gave me the desire to have control over mm-hmm. over the entire lesson business. I still wanted to do the same thing. I still wanted to teach full time. Um, it was just really intimidating to try and book all of these these students on my own, like where do I teach them? Do I go to their house? Um, how do I manage this if I have students all over the city? And that definitely took a few years to figure out until I had a full roster and had like a comfortable amount of money coming in where that was my full-time gig. But honestly, that that experience at that music store was the thing that made me say like, I don't think I want a boss anymore. Um, and then went full-time uh, teaching and then a few years after that full-time online. So yeah, yeah, and that's not to throw any music store under the bus. Um, it's more of like a criticism of that kind of system. Like that's yeah, that, that pay sucks. structure is is shitty. Yeah, that's, that's a bad. That's, that's, that's a really bad way to do it. Yeah. Not all commission sales jobs are are bad, but sometimes those setups can go really wrong and just screw people over. And that's kind of what happened to me. So yeah, that's that's the truthful answer as to why I left the uh, the real workforce and went independent. There you go. Well. Hope your question was answered. Yeah, Andrew. thanks, Andrew. Uh, next question from Donovan J. Kelly: What is your all-time favorite snare head and tuning? Ooh, that's pretty. That's pretty easy. Um, the UV two cranked, cranked pretty hot, like medium high, not like absurd. Um, but the UV two is one of those heads, man. It's I don't know. It it's a lot like the Emad where. Even Remo people will tell you that the EMAD is sick. The UV2 is kind of like that. Like, if you say you don't like it, 
I just don't believe you. Like, I think you're doing like a brand loyalty kind of thing. I think that's what happens more often than not. <laughs> the UV2 is seriously, it's, it's one of the like, like serious home run heads that Evan, Evans has put out. Um, and I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this podcast, but the way I see Evans and Remo, there are other head companies, but you know, really it's always between Evans and Remo. And Remo is like the far more specialized. They make they have like like triple the amount of drum heads, like the skews of drum heads. They have like triple the amount that Evans does. But Evans tends to make what I describe as like the Honda Civics of drum heads. Like they just kind of work for everything and they don't make that many of them. I think Evans makes like I don't know, like 15 heads, something like that, mm. like around that amount, like under 20 heads where Remo has like 50 or 60. But, you know, Remos tend to be far more like specialized kind of heads where I think if you want the multi-purpose head that's going to sound good the first time you put put it on, probably last a touch longer um, and just be a little bit more predictable. I think that's where Evans as a brand really shines. Uh, and the UV2 is like, it's the epitome of that. Like it works for every single genre. It sounds so good. They're They're weirdly durable, like so durable that it makes me wonder sometimes if Evans has lost money because how often do you have to replace them? That definitely change. It, it changes if you get a UV2. Like I imagine there are some people who used to change their heads every two months, but now they change them every four months because the heads actually last that much longer. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, weird example, though. I remember when I was when I was young, huge into skateboarding when I was a kid, and there was a skateboarder named Eric Costa. Remember Eric Costa? You might be too um, young for Eric Costa. I, I think I am. Okay. He's I'm going to admit that. Very, very. He was in like the original Tony Hawk games. Eric Costa's probably in his 40s now. But um, he had a shoe called the K2. And the K2 lasted so unbelievably long when you were skateboarding, right? Because you do all these tricks and the grip tape rips your shoes up. They lasted so long that the shoe got discontinued because people were able to skate on the same pair of shoes for like a year plus, where normally you're buying a pair of shoes like every couple of months. And the shoe was like not around anymore because it was so durable, we lose money. So there's a part of me that seriously wonders that with the UV2s. Like they're that durable. Um, I kind of wonder if Evans was like, shit, we should have made it not last, not last quite as long. I don't know. Probably not. I mean, anyway, it's a sick head. I love the UV2. That's got to be, be top for me. Uh, as far as like reliability, tunability, sound, durability. So yeah, medium and high UV2. That's my There answer. we go. Cool. Thank you, Donovan, for your question. Next question from Josh in Greenbrier. Is it odd that I hate playing with a click? I feel like when I do, I'm playing to that instead of music. Mm, that's a great question. It is not odd, no. It's not weird at all that you would dislike playing with the click. But I will say that it does get easier. Like the the discomfort that you have now, it doesn't last. It's more like a, that's more like a phase than anything else. And one thing that you'll hear people say Anybody who's played with the click long enough, they, they, they all tell you that it eventually disappears, that you don't actually have to listen to that click all the time. But right now, you do, and that part is really annoying. I remember that feeling for sure. 
So there are some, some alternative things that you can do if a click is really driving you crazy. One of them is honestly practice loops. Like that's one of the reasons that practice loops exist that we actually made a whole library um, of practice loops is because it's a really powerful resource for drummers who don't wanna practice to a metronome all the time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's still a fixed tempo, right? It's, it functions the same way as a metronome, but it's like this open environment where you can actually work on something. So if you were working on, let's just say a rudiment, you're working on your paradiddles around 80 BPM, there is no actual difference between playing at 80 BPM against a song versus 80 BPM against a metronome. You're still using, um, like it, let's just call it a, a computer or a digitized sound that is perfect, and that's your your fixed reference point as you're actually practicing. It's just a lot easier to listen to, right? That's the big difference between a practice loop and, uh, and a metronome or any version of a loop as well. So that's one thing you can do to try to make it a little bit more interesting. Um, another thing that I would do is toy around with the mix. So if you've got a song, let's just say for a band that you're in and you wanna put a click behind it, um, you know, I would try mixing that click like a little bit higher in the mix, a little bit lower in the mix, and see if you can find a sweet spot where it's not so so prominent because I've definitely had bad mixes where all you hear is the metronome and it's sort of, it's just like it's screaming at you and you can't get into the music. It kind of sounds like that's what you're going through. So you can definitely toy around with that mix. And I've done this for different recordings over the years where I need like a certain amount of the song, but sometimes, this has even happened too, there will be parts of songs where you automate the volume of the click. So like in the bridge, when the guitars get real spacey, it's super easy to lose time. So in that section, I'll actually automate the volume of the click. I'll do this in like Logic or GarageBand where the click is louder for certain moments because that you find out that that moment is where you're more likely to lose the click. So that's a little bit higher level of a way to do it, but if you've got specific, uh, if you're playing songs at church, if you're in a cover band or if you're doing original stuff and you, you have the ability to sort of mess with those tracks, definitely try automating the click, um, the volume of the click throughout the song. That might actually make it a lot more listenable because there's sometimes where you just barely need it, right? Like the guitars are chunky enough, the bass is attached enough that you can really just go without the click for the performance. And then there's other times again when the guitars swell up and it's super ambient, you kind of want that screaming beep in your ear to make sure you, you can kind of like hang on to where time is. But yeah, so those are some tools and some options, man. Hopefully that helps. Cool. Thank you, Josh, in a town called Greenbrier for your question. Uh, that's a beautiful answer. A question from Zelmar, or Zelmar. He's probably Triple Z. sleeping when he <laughs> made his username. So I'm working on the intermediate groove lessons on your site. I was wondering how much time should I invest on each lesson? I'm not in a band at the moment, so I have no rush to get stuff down to improve myself, but I'm not sure when it's time to move on to the next topic slash lesson. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question for sure. How do you how do you know when you're done practicing? anything anything mm -hmm. right and obviously you're on the site intermediate groove lesson so thank you brother and welcome um okay so the problem with answering this question is that the answer changes for every person you know like like you are the you're the most qualified person to answer this question like how do you know when you're done but it does you know it while it does change from person to person, there's probably a little bit more of a concrete answer I could give you. So you wanna have some kind of standard, and here's my favorite standard that I've ever, I've ever heard for how to know when you're done practicing something. If the world was ending, 
like world is completely ending and you are responsible for creating the reference for a certain thing. So let's just take a basic rock beat. That's an easy example. Basic rock beat. Everyone's going to die. Nobody knows what this sounds like. And you have to, you have to record the basic rock beat <laughs> for human history to reference That's from this point forward. Such an extreme that example. Super extreme. Super extreme. But think on your toes. Right. right is your point. Well, it's like like if you could be the example for other people to learn from, that's probably good enough. That's that's really a, a better way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's another way to say this too. If you can teach it, if you can fully explain this to someone else and you could play an example of that 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 is not incorrect, right? That should be good enough to move on. Now, that doesn't mean that you should never revisit things. It doesn't mean that the moment you're able to explain a groove and play it through once, you're done. That's definitely not that's definitely not the case. But it's a good marker where you can sort of start to expand into other territories um, once you're able to like fully explain, articulate, and successfully play something um, so that someone else could learn it from you. That's probably the best the best example. It's it's pretty extreme to say you would have to be like the the example for the rest of like human history to, to go over. Yeah. But if you, if you really want the answer, like when are you done, like done, done when you can teach it to somebody. Right. I think that's, that's the best answer when you can show it, show it to someone, you know, the other way to do it um, is to set your own personal goals. And normally that's going to be related to tempo. So like when you can play this at 85 BPM, that's when you're done. But the catch is that you can move those goalposts all over the place. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be 80 BPM. Maybe for you, a better goal would be 95 BPM or 120 BPM. That's going to change depending on how how hard you want to make this on yourself, right? Um, now, in the lesson pack that you're working in, the Intermediate Groove Pack, I'm pretty sure there are goal tempos at the end of every lesson. And that's sort of where I say or at least in those packs, it's my recommendation that like, if you can play it here, you're probably good. Can you take it faster? Of course you can, you always can, but some things it's just not worth your time. So a lot of times it's good to just pick that realistic tempo, whatever that might be, depending on the groove or the fill, the rudiment, the thing that you're working on, and say, when I get to this point where I can successfully play something without messing up at this tempo, then I'll walk away from this, leave it alone for a little while, and then revisit it in a few months or years or, you know, whatever you got going on. So hopefully that helps answer your question, man. That's a good one. All right. So to close out the podcast, I got a question for you, okay. some I've been thinking about lately. Do you think that there's a conceptual difference between counting and thinking in even numbers, two, four, six, eight, ten, versus counting and thinking in odd numbers, one, three, five, seven, nine. That's really tricky. That's tricky. So let's go like the nerdy math answer. Okay. Um, it's easier to divide with even numbers, right? Just like an objective math fact, right? Like division is a lot easier with evens. Like if you were going to teach division to a uh, 10 year old kid like you would not start with 13s and and fives and yeah. set like you're gonna mess them up like that's way harder to do you're definitely gonna start two four six eight ten twelve fourteen sixteen you're definitely gonna stick in that world but i don't know i'm almost i'm trying to figure out if there's a a difference um there's definitely a difference in sound but do odd groupings odd note groupings do they sound odd 
like mm. inherently does it, is that what that word? I know we we say odd numbers, but it, are we also saying that they they sound peculiar compared to even numbers? Mm, I don't think that's how the English language influenced math. But, yes. Um, but would, would you? Is it safe to say that threes, fives, and sevens sound peculiar compared to twos, fours, and sixes? Go da da. Go da da da. Yeah, when you put, which it, that, one was when you more, put it that way. Which I don't one know. was more? I mean, <laughs> well, it's out of context, right? Yeah. There's not like a tempo that's fixed to it, but it also gets into like like sociological construction, right? Like it, like is there a natural, innate type of math mathematics in music that sends us down these certain directions, or can you construct music from its core? Like there's no there's no nature to it. It's just what Hmm. culture has given you so in our culture in western culture for sure four four is what but like if we go back and we restarted the experiment like and said there's no music start over and somebody just was like i don't know what about nine like do you like do you think that there's versions of reality versions of culture where we never where four always sounds weird or is there something like innate in the mathematics that makes two four six eight 12, 14, 16, like the a, easiest, right? Th- this is like, uh, this is turning into like a Veritasium video. Where yeah. it's just like, did you want to learn about math yeah, today? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I didn't know. Honestly, this is like natural law versus social constructionism is what it is. Like, do we make the rules or do we do we uncover the rules? Ooh, 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 That's man. the question. Yeah, this, um, this is a whole philosophical wormhole. That we're not going to have well, time. Well, no, I mean, today. like, we don't have time, but it, we do. This is the fact. Um, I'm going to err on its natural that we like even more than odd. Yeah. But there's a mathematical explanation that I cannot prove, but I feel like that's yeah. That's what I'll go with. Yeah. Well, it's easy for two westerners to be like I think western music is probably no, the most No, I mean like <laughs> it's so easy Of to course say, right? I'm going to say that. But <laughs> no, I really do think like I mean, when it comes down to just like it's easier to divide, like maybe there is a a quicker brain yeah. synapsis when it comes to even numbers maybe yeah. it, maybe it does make sense you could say. make that mathematical argument yeah yeah goodness well sorry we're gonna dump you guys off on a kind of an absurd cliffhanger today. i mean if you want to talk about math in the comments go ahead yeah like, yeah yeah. i would funny. love to hear some opinions on but, on this specifically like is there a version of culture where if we ran this experiment back we could come up with completely different numbers that function as the basis for all rhythm that are not two, four, six, and eight. Like, could we make those foreign in theory? That's the question. Well, I don't know. What's like the. <laughs> what do we get out of answering this question? <laughs> no, nothing, no, really. More, more questions. Which numbers are better? Welcome. That's literally what we're talking about. Which numbers are better? That's the name but, of this episode. I mean, if, by okay, the way. so, oh, all right. So, dial back. Here, we'll, we'll, we'll try and wrap this up quickly, but dial back. One question I had in mind was when you were learning fills, a lot of them are probably based out of like fours and eights, right? Yes. Da, 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 da. Sure. Da, 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 right? When did you just go, I want to make it at a seven? I want to play fills um, that are seven to end right on the one. My honest answer is when Yo Snickle said, try three fives and sevens. I was wow. like, oh, damn, just trying to do it. Yeah. Right? Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Older concept than, than me, that's for sure. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's my real answer to that question. Was like, yeah, I saw Yo Snickle using threes, fives, and sevens. He mentioned yeah. them once. I was like, huh? So there's other yeah. ways to count to sixteen. Whoa, like, there's whoa. three more numbers. Yeah, <laughs> weird, right? But uh, well, yeah. I mean, as soon as you open, I think it's just 
more so you open up a new window and it's just more numbers that you can count. More numbers. More, <laughs> more numbers. We it's a signed, dumb answer. We signed up for the right game. The oh, one, my God. More numbers. All right. Well, if there's any mathematicians out there that are into music, please give us an answer. Please school us. We're dummies. Yeah. yeah but, um, we're trying. I don't know. And you got anything else? <laughs> That's it, man. That's, That's all it? I got. All right. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you for watching, guys. Really appreciate it. This has been episode 29 of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. Remember to use uh, code ODPC. Save 25% on your first two months of online drum school. Link is in the description of this podcast. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll catch you next week. Word. Bye.